Hello and welcome to another episode of Leisure Family, Duncan and Jonathan. As always, I am Duncan. And as always, I'm Jonathan. And we are joined once again by my sister Ty, who... Yo! Yes, and before we get into the meat of the um, episode, there's we have a little announcement on our end, don't we, Ty? Yep. <laughs> Due to circumstances, we will be moving within a month. Within a couple, actually within the next three weeks now. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. So very soon. Yeah. So there will be at least a week or two that the podcast will probably be put on delay just due to complications of moving. Yeah, but like I said, but anyway. Uh, so we're doing something big. Um, is well, let's may not be the last one we do with this current address, but we'll see. Um. So anyway, we're going to be going back to Mass Effect once again. Um, so, and in fact, Ty just booted up the game. So, and we're going to be talking about um, the first um, post-Citadel planet most gamers probably go to, um, which is, what is it? Is it Theorem? Yes, Theorem. Okay. Because I knew that Pharos wasn't it. <laughs> Some people get this confused anyway, but anyway. Yeah, so we're going after Dr. Dr. Liara Tassoni, who is the last um, character you are able to recruit in the first game. Um, And, yeah, and she's also one of the, um, she's also the favorite of the potential love interests for the developers. (laughs) And so they, they tend to push her a lot. And as a note, I'm someone who has pretty much exclusively played Femme Shep romancing Garrus, so this is my first playthrough as male Shep with the goal of romancing her. So, I'm about to pick up my future girlfriend who doesn't know it yet. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> yeah. Funny game. This is, this is, you know, and I think developers, you know, you brought up a great point. Whatever, whatever the most popular character is, developers, you know, they tend to, as you were saying, push it. So, Should weed out most of it. Yeah. In this case, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. This. In this case, it sounds like a. What is that? A leaf blower or? on this in the first episode, but, but the, um, speaking of which, okay, anyway, the, um, speaking of power tool, <laughs> okay, um, yeah, the situation, um, with Liara, back on, uh, she is the, um, daughter of, Matriarch Venezia, yeah, who is working along, or, well, who's working along the big baddie, Saren, yes, and, and so they're both Asari, um, and now this is not, well, let's, uh, I'll just go ahead and bring it up now, um, because it comes up in the first conversation you have with her after you get on the Normandy, um, or one of the first ones, 
is it okay? And Liara is what is called a pure blood Asari, because the Asari, like we mentioned in our first episode, they can pretty much have children with any other species out there, or with any other sapient species. It's never, except maybe the Rachni, but that's a special case. Um, and it's never brought up either way. Um, so, yeah, um, anyway, back to what we were talking about. Yeah, so, okay, but she's a pure blood. So, her. Yeah, mentioned in the first episode, it's, it's really about the gameplay driven by, you know, the sort of path she wants to take. Like, it's very yep. uh, selection based, like, choice based. Like, you can go over here and make this decision. Here's what's going to happen, unless some things are unavoidable, like that. Uh, for those who may not have heard the first podcast, but in most cases, your choices tend to drive whatever the gameplay action will be, with the exceptions. Yeah, uh, like for the most part, and we'll get there eventually, there, there are a few things that you can't really get around, but, but for the most part, the details surrounding the storylines will be colored based on the previous decisions, and in some cases, entire characters are not available because you, you either them or let them die, <laughs> or they just or you just skip them outright. Mm-hmm. And you can, but for the most part, you can meet if you if you skip. There are only like a couple of ones you can't. Where if you don't get them in the first one, you still get the you still interact with them in the second and third one, respectively. <laughs> Yeah, um, a couple of those. But, um, yeah, but anyway, back to what I was talking about. Okay, now, Liara's parents, both of them are Asari. And, uh, spoiler alert, I'm not going to go into details about the father, and her wording, not mine. Um, but, yeah. But, um, but we do meet her for, if you want to use, for lack of a better wording, we do meet Liara's father at a later point. <laughs> um... But, who, funnily enough, is part Krogan! <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not going to give any more details than that because we don't want... <laughs> That's actually a bit of a surprise when you find out naturally, but okay. <laughs> but anyway, so... Yeah. Anyway, so, we, so she's on Theorem, and she's an archaeologist? Yes, she is studying the Protheans. So... So, you, so she's on a dig. She's on a dig site, and you go to on the planet theorem, which is where is it? So the theorem, which since I'm on the planet, can't give you the exact coordinates. One second. Yeah, because it's it's nowhere near Earth or the Citadel, so it's on the opposite end of the galaxy, <laughs> sort of. Theorem is in the Milky Way Galaxy, Artemis Tau Cluster, Kenosis System, and it's the second planet from the Sun. Okay. Yeah. And it appears to be at the bottom, and if you're looking at a map of the galaxy, it's on the bottom right of the map. Yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, so, so effectively, I guess it would be in what? The, I'll do what? The Beta Quadrant? <laughs> I think more people, I think enough people are familiar with Star Trek, they'll understand what I mean by that. Um, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, so it's in the beta quadrant, essentially. Um, yeah, for the most part, 
in Mass Effect 1, you're going through the Beta and Delta Quadrants, respectively. <laughs> um, the, you know, the, uh, the Citadel and Earth are in the Alpha Quadrant, obviously, but, um, yeah, but for the most part, you're going to the Delta, the equivalent of the Delta and Beta Quadrants. Um, so, anyway, but yeah, so you go there, and it's a volcanic area. I don't know if the entire planet's like that. But at least the locations you're able to access. You find her in a refinery. Yeah, so... Well, under one would be more accurate. Yeah. <laughs> She's in the ruin. <laughs> <sighs> but anyway, okay, so you, so you... This is where most people are introduced to the Mako. And Kai, do you want to describe the Mako? <laughs> the Mako is basically your best friend. It is like a well, tank... Sort of. It is, With, a, it is a tank. It's a tank. It's got six wheels. It's got booster jets. It's got thrusters. Cannon. <laughs> cannon and and mounted guns. And anyone who tells you, oh, follow the path of least resistance is lying. You drive over everything. You go up that mountain to get to point A to point B. I don't care how difficult it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and for the record, now, they did tweak it considerably to make it less frustrating in the remaster, but... In the original one, a lot of people did not like it because it was... Calling it clunky is actually... Uh, yeah, that's a polite way to put it. <laughs> clunky is a polite way to put it. Yeah. But when you succeeded in doing those difficult maneuvers, it was just the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah. And now you also... Go ahead. Thor made a lot of people rage quit before it got to well, I mean, and, and it's just funny, guys. I think I've mentioned this podcast before, but, but there's a podcast where they're going through the remaster, um, which is literally called um, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, um, or no, Squad Goals is the name of the podcast, and they're going through the remaster, they're going through the remaster from literally, and they're doing, and there are three different co-hosts um, who are going through it, and one of them did not do the typical order the first time around in the original version. And so they went to a different planet um, first and and were surprised with the Mako because, for the most part, Theorem is the first in, in, introduction to the um, Mako because, especially if you come into the franchise at a later point, a couple of years down the road, like, like Kai and myself did, um, where you knew enough going in about the, um, about the importance of the characters and what, <laughs> even cursory research will show you that Liara does impact a lot of later missions just by her presence. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. I mean, even as a late entry into the series myself, you find that out because, and, and I feel like that's one of the sad benefits of being late to a franchise because, you know, if you want information about a certain thing, you can find it. Like, it's not like Mass Effect is the most obscure game in the world. You know, quite to the contrary. You know. Especially so nowadays. You want to look for Yeah, but anyway, um, so you go there, and in fact, Kai is, like she said, she's on her second playthrough of this version. Um, <laughs> she did at least two of the original version that I 
through games one and two. Yeah, guys, you never got the third one because the third one was only available on, it's only been available on Steam for, what, the last six months or so? <laughs> yeah, and I had played the first game, the first two games I had played on the PC, which is where they were available, and then I played, the, I tried playing the first game on console. console and just was having the hardest time with the controls. And Andromeda. And it, except for Andromeda, I was, I've had a really easy time with Andromeda, but for some reason I just couldn't get the hang of the controls for Mass Effect. One and two. One and two. Well, one I was able to do, two was just impossible. So when yeah, Legendaries came out, is the first time I played the third game. Okay. Are yeah. there any clear differences between the PC and console version, or is it just like minuscule, not really all that different? Well, let's see. It's the obvious ones, like, because, I mean, because, okay. On the console, you have a gamepad pretty much by default, whereas on the compute, on the on the PC, and presumably Macintosh, if it's available there, I honestly don't know. You have the you have the option in this version. You have you can go either way. You can go with the gamepad, which Kai chose not to, uh, but she did have the option. She is yeah. elected to go with keyboard and mouse, which is default for PC. Yeah, um, and the thing about this one and several other ones for that matter is that you can configure the keyboard. <laughs> Yeah, you can tailor the keyboard to whatever you're most comfortable doing. Yeah. So, for example, driving the Mako on console, you have your left toggle for... Wrong one. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> left will be acceleration of movement. And then nope. No? It's the analog sticks. Yeah, the analog the sticks. Yeah. Whereas with... The Nomad these, has the trigger. Yeah, <laughs> That's what yeah analog about. sticks. Two different things. <laughs> Analog sticks for driving and moving your camera around, whereas on PC I can use the WSAD to do my movement and then have my mouse be controlling my camera, which for camera. me is a lot easier to coordinate when driving in the game than it was on PC because I can use one hand and make my and make the car move around and then keep my camera steady aiming my gun in the car. That's so much easier for me. Just because I'm a primarily PC gamer. Yep. And I, I would be curious to know, like, okay, you know, how to sell for, for PC versus console, because I would imagine console got a nice chunk of this sale just because, you know, a lot of people own console, but I see PC coming in. I think PC may be having a slight edge because a lot of people are, like people mentioning, you know, PC gamers and, you know, they, they will, you know, really get into, you know, the whole PC gaming market and if you tell them that you're a console gamer, some of them, not all, not putting all PC gamers in this one bag, so, you know, not saying that. But a lot of, you know, it's a small group of people who are PC and only Yeah, some people by choice, and some people just because they can't handle it for whatever reason. Um, yeah, you got a lot of those. But okay. Um, let's see. Yeah. Now, on what playthrough are you on currently, Duncan? Are you on your second playthrough, first playthrough? Well, okay. 
if you're talking about total, um, I just wrapped up the second full playthrough. Because I, I was already working on... I was, I had, because I had already been working well into my second PS3 playthrough before we got, before the remaster was released. Um, I did it in one shot. Okay, yeah. Well, I have never done that in one shot. Okay, hold on. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Kai okay. just did something which, um, which is rather, uh, I, there was no achievement for that? You think there'd no. be an achievement for that? You think there'd be an achievement for that? Because of how hard it is to get through with <laughs> Okay, Kai, just explain what has happened and then I'll get back to it. So, <laughs> so on the theorem mission, technically you're supposed to be leaving the Mako once you reach this spot where there's a very narrow gap. In the rock. In the rocks. And it looks like it's pretty much impossible to get the Mako to go through. You're supposed to go, technically you're supposed to go on foot from there and then fight a bunch of Geth and then eventually get to the refinery, fight more Geth there, and then go get to Liliara. Any gamer who's ever played Mass Effect struggles. You can, it, you can take hours to get the Mako through that gap. And my, my up till now, up till now, my shortest record for getting the Mako through that gap is 25 minutes. I just went through on the first shot. In less than, what, 20 seconds? In less than 20 seconds. I have no clue what I did. Okay. So we can't replicate that. No, it's not easily. Okay. And I wish I was filming it because I can't believe it happened. Yeah. So, woo. Okay. Now, or was uh, it? Okay. But anyway, yeah. So I guess I, I said I was about halfway. I want to say about halfway through the main story, the main um, story of Mass Effect One before the Legendary Edition was released, and then I switched focus to that version. Um, but yeah, like I said, so. Technically, I've done, let's say, about two and a sixth, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, because of the fact that, like I said, because I got the original one, I, the first one I got back in 2014, fall of 2014, and it took me a year and a half to get through that, the first one, and there, well, there was a move involved, so it made sense, and then, um, and then it took me less than... What was it? It was less than six months to total to do both two and three the first time, and that was including the multiplayer for three because the original version there was a lot of stuff going on in three that we're not going to talk about right now because it, it's plot relevant. <laughs> but All right, we'll get to that at a later point. For now, we want to focus on the first installment. But yeah. Okay, you know, so we will get to we will touch on. Right, so, yeah, so like I said, so I have, between all versions, I have done two full and about a sixth, between a sixth, around a sixth of the way through, a third. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's one of those, and I've also done Andromeda a, a couple of times, too, but that's, but that's not a hint of there. Um, so, yeah, and I've had, I'm planning on doing Andromeda at some point. I'm going to restart that. There's also the fact that I have a suspicion that Andromeda is going to be tweaked to account for the um, remaster and the upcoming fifth game. Yeah, and like I said, it's not unlike 
I mean, this is not... I mean, it's also the fact that it, it, they tend to announce things a couple of years before they're even able to show any real footage, so it's not like it's a... <laughs> yeah, but anyway, um, where was it? Oh, yeah, okay, so, Theorem. Yeah, so let me see. Kai, let you get to the refinery, and then you kill the Geth platforms. Um, because the Geth themselves are the software. They... <laughs> The, the, Which yeah. we really find more about in future games. Yeah, but but I, I want to say Tally still gives you enough information to realize that you're not actually killing the Geth proper. You're just knocking out their their hardware, essentially. <laughs> Don't you? Yeah, you do understand what you're doing. Okay. But anyway, so you go down to the... Okay. Um, yeah, and then you go down to the ruins. All right, Kai, do you want to get the running commentary here? Okay. So I have just wiped out the Geth outside the refinery, and I'm entering the refinery as we speak. Note: I'm playing a male chef infiltrator, so my primary weapon is a sniper rifle. So in this game, you know, this pretty much tells me you can use all of them more or less equally competently. <laughs> yeah. So I'm heading down the tube into the refinery, and I see two Geth. Well. One is a shock trooper, so he's shooting bombs at me. And you just knock him out. One awesome thing about the sniper rifle, which is why this is what I tend to go for, you do a headshot, it does insane damage. And the Gap luckily have this giant flashlight in their skull, so it makes you aiming for a headshot very easy. Okay, so which, three Gap. As yeah. a newbie to the whole series, that's good information to know, because, you know, I'm just starting out, so that's, that's good information. Oh, yeah, speaking of which, I probably should have done this earlier. Okay, have you actually got your hands on a. On the game yet, or it's been still waiting on that, but I have done some more research on it. So, okay, you know, in between you know, the, the last podcast and this one, so yeah, we're saying about the beta and Delta, uh, Night Galaxy Quadrant, Quadrant, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. for the most part, yeah. people know what I mean. <laughs> So having entered the refinery, I've now discovered an elevator. Yep. Which I am taking down to the next level. And we... So these are some Prothrian ruins inside the refinery. Which, the two companions I have with me in this mission, I have Rex the Krogan and Garrus the Turian. Garrus' com commentary so far has been, it's the first time he's been to Prothean ruins outside of the Citadel. And now some assault drones have shown up. Which, these things are really annoying. As a general rule, they have pretty strong shields, very targeted fire. And he's, they have already killed both of my companions. So 
so the sniper rifle doesn't do as much damage to them as it, it does. It does as much damage, but these guys will kill you quick unless you find cover very quickly. And there's also the slight problem of not having rapid fire on your side, but they're using machine gun. Or yeah, rockets, depending on which one you're not. That's why most people like them for assault, like use the assault rifles. <laughs> Which is why I recommend before your first mission you acquire the Unity skill, which lets you resurrect and heal your teammates. But when you play it, the uh, female character, what kind of weapon is it? Is it the same weapon? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I pretty yeah, much it's, always. Yeah, it's the play. same. Yeah, the, the class distinction is what determines the weapon. Proficiency, I guess, would be the right wording. Yeah, proficiency is the right wording. Okay, yeah, it's in. So everyone's up and moving again. You just have to wait for their... Well, Rex heals not quite the Wolverine levels, but he does have a healing factor, whereas Gareth, uh, I can't remember. Not as, not as much. <laughs> but the Krogans have redundant immune system. That's part of why they... Come. Now, I've found a second elevator now that I've gotten rid of those drones. And entering the elevator... This one should have a little problem. Yes, and about three, four floors down, the elevator starts sparking. And the door opens. And the door opens, so I'm heading out. There's some busted things. Uh, and, and here we come across Liara. She is trapped in this glowing bubble. Can you hear me out there? I'm trapped. I need help. <laughs> Are you okay? What happened to you? So she's trapped. She's in a Prothean security device. And I got some questions I can ask her. So I'm going to interrogate her about her mother. Your mother is working with Sarah. <laughs> and she has no clue what the hell I'm talking about. This is always fun. Which, a benefit to using a sniper rifle is that you can get the enemies from far away 
And if they don't, if they aren't using sniper rifles, it's hard for them to get you from a distance. Even though their eyesight is better than you, they can aim and track from further away, and it's always a mistake. It's just case. game mechanics. <laughs> yeah. That's so, a benefit, I would say. <laughs> you know, yeah, so I'm in this mining area. There's a sniper. And if I head back to this. Back in this mining area, there are some goodies, so if you have a high enough decryption or electronic skill, you can get some of the goodies. Like ammo and such? Yeah, like I get, um... In this case... So I got some shotguns available in the one container. The other one... has some ammo and weapon upgrades. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned this in the first one, but yes. all these guns are rail guns. <laughs> yes, they're all rail guns. Okay, so now that I've looted the area, I find a mining laser. Which you kind of have to figure out the code for how to activate it. Which is pretty simple. If you hit the wrong key, it tells you it gives you a red note, and then resets green if it's right, and it just blasted a hole through the floor. So I'm going through the hole in the floor, and there is a elevator. Now we should probably mention something here. The interface is different between PC and console because. And what Ty is talking about is not how it works because on the um, on the console version, it's more of a QTE type setup where you have to hit the buttons in the right order. So the action buttons, not the uh, yeah. D-pad. Okay. So now that I have activated this elevator, you're behind Liara. I am behind Liara. I go behind her. How did you get in? She asks how I got in here. And my options for telling her I can tell her it wasn't it's not important, it wasn't easy or superior firepower. And I'm gonna be sarcastic this playthrough and tell her superior firepower. You blasted through with the mining laser. Of course. Yes, that makes sense. Please get me out of here before more gets around. That's so Lear is pointing me towards the button that can shut down the containment field. And Bro Shep goes over and punches something on a keypad. And she falls to the ground. Any idea how we get out of this place? There is an elevator back in the center of the tower. At least I, I think it's an elevator. It should take us out of here. Come on. So we all go as a group back to the elevator. I, I still cannot believe all this. Why would the Geth come after me? And she's trying to figure out why she's being hunted by Geth. And we hear rumbling because 
I triggered a seismic event by blowing a hole through the floor. So these whole ruins are going to end up in lava. So I just alerted Joker that he needs to come pick us up. Rex says that if he dies here, he's going to kill Joker. Quite the achievement when you think about it. But anyway. <laughs> he is Krogan. And this is part of why I bring Rex on most of my missions, because I enjoy the sarcastic little shit. Okay, so we have now reached the top of the elevator shaft, and there is some Geth and a Krogan heading towards us. He tells us to surrender. To which I'm going to tell him the ruins falling apart around us. To which he says, that sounds like fun. And he wants me to hand over Liara. Now I'm telling her, nope, she's with me she's now. With us. No, no, no. Krogan says Saren wants her, and he always gets what he wants. And now they want to kill us. So the key to this fight is you do not want to let them get behind you. Which, unfortunately, you're in a circular room. That's easy for them to do. If you can kill the Krogan, it makes life a little easier because Krogans will charge at you and just, they do a ton of damage when they're charging. But if you knock off the Geth to the sides, it makes life a little bit easier. Headshots are your friends. They deal more damage no matter what weapon you're using. And when Krogans go down in battle, you want to shoot them for all you got because th that's when they regen. Okay, so now I have killed all the enemies. Run away, run away! <laughs> Barrier disappears. And the ruins start to crumble around us, so we make a sprint for the entrance of the refinery. So you remember, the elevator we took to get to this level earlier is a little busted, so we gotta be quick. Get out. Smoke comes out of the shaft behind us. And the Normandy is there to pick us up. And there we have rescued Liara. Okay, and we have too close, Commander. Ten more seconds we would have been swimming in molten sulfur. <laughs> the Normandy isn't equipped to land in exploding volcanoes. They tend to fry our sensors and melt um, our hull. Yeah, Chef Green is right. <laughs> and yes, Joker 
is hysterical. He will always critique you in the funniest way possible. And he gives no fucks. <laughs> he is... He's great. So he can just give you that tough love yep. in his own unique way. Which I'm not sure if the microphone's picking up the discussion from the screen. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but yeah. So Liara expresses her gratitude for us saving her. The whole crew's in the conference room. We're all sitting in these chairs. And this is where we find out that she's been spending 50 years studying the Protheans. So I ask her how old she is, and she says, I hate to admit it, but I'm only 106. Which is definitely a phrase you don't hear anything. I can't say everything. That's a phrase you won't ever hear. Yeah, she. Yeah, sorry to live what the well over a couple 50, thousand years yeah, old. Yeah, they and the Krogan are the longest-lived species in Andromeda. No. really, organic. Milky Way. Yeah, Milky Way, yeah. Milky Way. Sorry, wrong galaxy. Wrong galaxy. <laughs> wrong. Now, for Andromeda, would it be considered a spin-off, sequel, prequel? Um, well, spinoff would probably be the best way to put it because it. We don't know what the the people from the Milky Way who moved to Andromeda ship out after the events of the second game. No, actually, in the middle of them. Oh yeah, in the middle of the events of the second game, so before the Reapers actually arrive in the Milky Way galaxy. And um, there is a bit of connection to the main game. The Again, One of the are. heads of the Andromeda Initiative has some communiques with Liara that you can find recordings of. Yeah, and there's also Garrus' father was a close friend of... <laughs> yeah, Garrus' father was a close, close friend of one a couple. of the characters in Andromeda. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but anyway, so... Alright, so since we have some time left, um, before we... Yeah, so... I didn't want to do this, because we have about 20 minutes before the hour, which we only took just under 40 minutes to get in that far. Do you want to talk about some of the side missions now, or do you want to... Sure. Okay. Which ones do you guys want to talk about? Well, let's just get... We alluded to this one earlier, but um, let's just get it out of the way. Let's talk about the one on Earth's moon, and then there was the asteroid DLC. Couple of, I think that will be a good idea to yeah, couple of those. <laughs> So the one on Earth's moon is actually, it's its a very, it seems like a throwaway throwaway quest. Like, there's nothing really important about it. But it's where um, a rogue VI starts killing everyone on the bases on the moon. And you're sent to go take care of it. This is already introduced. This is where we introduced to one of our favorite characters, <laughs> Admiral Hackett. <laughs> yes, Admiral Hackett, who I swear it's like he rolls some dice to figure out what he's going to say. Commander Shepard, I'm sending you to roll some dice. The Artemis, Artemis Tau cluster, because of some roll some more dice. 
Cerberus activity rolls another dice on planet XYZ. <laughs> that's that's what all his quests. Yeah, yes, and and because this is perfect, and, and he's also voiced by Lance Henriksen, so <laughs> yeah, just imagine that it's Lance it's Lance Henriksen calling you. <laughs> To give you these random, or similarly random, they were they were scripted. They're not randomly generated. Um, <laughs> missions. Yeah, but on this, but in this um, particular one. particular thing, you go you go through the three bases and you kill the VI. But at the end of the mission, some binary code shows up on your screen, which fans of the game translated. have translated. And it says, help. You find out in the third, in, in the third game. So in the second game, you Which meet a VI on board yeah, your new ship. A full, AI. <laughs> a, full, a full AI on board your ship called Edie. And you get, you get pretty close to Edie in that game. She and Joker become good friends. And you, we keep her in the third game. And she ends up getting a platform and everything. But by the end, near the end of the third game, you discover that Edie was the VI you just you tried to kill on that mission in the first game. And she, and, and I think if memory serves, um, Shepard's reaction was, "Why did you never say anything?" Yeah, Shepard asks, "Why did you never say anything?" And she, it, there's there's a whole drama about that. And, once we get to discussing the third game, I think it'll be a better space to really get into it. But yes, it always, when I first realized that and had read the translation on, uh, it's, it's, uh, it changes, it really changes, it changes things. It really, it changes how you see Edie's character, realizing that it wasn't that she was a rogue VI that you went to destroy, it's that she was an AI Discovering who she was and just suddenly and being attacked she after she after she becomes was, alive. It was essentially if HAL nine thousand had machine guards. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just the arrow. But not being a but not being <laughs> a genocidal. It's ironic considering who her voice actor is, but that's a detail. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, but especially when you hear Trisha Helfer and Apocalypse, you probably know where I'm going with that. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. But anyway, now, speaking of the Apocalypse, <laughs> let's go to Bring Down the Sky with the materials. Yes, Bring Down the Sky. <laughs> so there is an asteroid being flown via rockets to a planet. The original plans is that the go at a slow pace, go in orbit around the planet, and they'd mine it for materials. But some Batarians have taken over and are just using it to launch it at the planet to destroy the whole planet. And your job is to try to deactivate the torches and save the scientists. And have it parked in orbit. Well, you get there, and it's a little too late for that. You have to fight to find the scientists, and you end up confronting the Batarian. The Batarian gives you the option of letting him go, and he will save, he'll, he'll let these scientists that he's captured live, or kill him while he blows up these scientists. 
this is actually an important decision to make. Based yeah, if he on, comes back, if he lives. Because he comes back if he lives, and you're actually able to get him on your side if you play your cards right in the third game. Yeah, I should probably explain the thing about the Batarians. They don't like humans. <laughs> yeah, Batarians don't like humans at all. They, um, the Batarian culture is centered around their race's superiority over everyone else. It is Their culture is dependent upon a, a caste system that involves slavery. And they feel like the humans are getting too much too quickly. And that it disrupts the natural order and that they should be more important over the humans because of how late the humans are coming to the party. Yeah, because for the most part, with a couple of exceptions, all these civilizations have been interacting for the better part of the last millennium. <laughs> Whereas the humans are like, hey, we we can make things go zoom through space. Let's be part of the biggest culture in the world. We still have to go interact together, but who cares? Financially, yeah. <laughs> because of that, you know, they, they kind of feel like, hey, wait a minute, you're showing up on our turf. Wait, we didn't ask for this. Yep. Yes, and another thing about the Batarians is that they, um, like human space and space are very close to each other. And in fact, there's an entire border that is it's essentially like the Romulan neutral zone, but not as well fully. So it's basically like the Switzerland, the Switzerland of, <laughs> you know, mass effect where because it's the neutral part that really doesn't. No, it's because your analogy must go go with is uh, Korea. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, where the Batarians are actually compared to um, the North Koreans a lot. Ah, <laughs> I, I, I was going to compare yeah, and there's a there's a lot of parallels there. I mean, between the political structure, the um, the way information is disseminated is very similar to how the North Korean um, government. So, so for South Korea, what would, what would be the mass equivalent to if there is? Oh no, no, no! I mean, there is the North Korea in as far as how the rest of the galaxy sees them is similar to how the rest of the world sees North Korea. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, better understand. And they're <laughs> equally as full of themselves as North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> and usually you see Kim, Kim Il-sung in the place of the Batarian character we were mentioning earlier. <laughs> Which makes you wonder, like, how much uh, studying of like government policies they did before they created Mass Effect. <laughs> you know, you know, it plays a part. Just like a lot of sci-fi touches on you know, a lot of world issues, albeit in a unique sort of way. So it makes you wonder, like, how much studying did they do to form the world that you see, like build a world that you see in Mass Effect. Okay, so we're pushing the 50-minute mark here for the non sponsor so let's, let's pause for a second, then we can continue this, because this is actually we're on a roll here. All right, so... Okay, so... Give me a second.
And we're back. Yeah, turn it. Okay, so where were we? Okay, the material. <coughs> Although, Kai, you want to explain Joker's um, condition? Yes, so Joker, who is, the be- to quote himself, is the best goddamn pilot in the Alliance fleet. Essentially, the Starbuck equivalent. <laughs> and he has... Um, he didn't know the cockpit and all that yeah, so he we pretty much the first two games, the pretty much only interactions you will have with him, he is sitting in the pilot seat on Normandy. Yep, yep, yep. Doesn't really move. You don't really see him anywhere else, and that is because he has what they call in the game Rolex syndrome, brittle bone disease. That's actually a real thing, though. <laughs> yes, but the way it's described for him is it's mostly in his legs more than anything else. Well, that's what he says in the first game. In the other games, he does break more bones fairly frequently. But it's just a case of... I need to know more about this Rolex um, I'm putting my ship in your hands. He <laughs> is very defensive over it. It's an extremely rare condition. Nobody knows exactly what caused it. And he moves too hard in direction, and his bones will break. By my case, it's moderate to severe. I was born with over a dozen fractures, hip, thighs, ankles, my So, yeah, he's... He's a great pilot, but he's very brittle. So he's a great character. Part of what makes him so much fun is he wields his sarcasm and wit almost defensively against his condition and how people have treated him poorly due to it. And he's just, he's a generally great character. we start learning about in the first game which depending upon your background the background you choose as Shepard could directly relate to some of your circumstances if you go with the sole survivor they are always related to the attack in question yeah they're always related to the attack in question and um, there's at least one mission you'll do where you discover a rescue beacon located in the middle of a Thresher Maw nest. Thresher Maw are these huge, nasty dune-esque sandworms that spit acid. And they're also from the same homeworld as the Krogan. Yes, they are from the Krogan homeworld. You'll find them on all sorts of planets. And they are extremely deadly. And uh, one of the potential backgrounds you can have for Commander Shepard is that he is the assumed only survivor. For the better part of what, a decade? <laughs> for the better part of a decade, of um, an attack where all the other members of his squad are killed by the Thresher Maws. Turns out there's another survivor you discover in one of the side missions in this quest where he is attacking and holding hostage a. Cerberus scientist who was behind the attack 
and is studying Thresher Maw Venom and what it does to humans. So what we're introduced to in the first game is that this is this nefarious human first black ops black ops organization that is willing to do anything in the name of promoting the human race. Come the second game we meet the well, owner, I guess, backer, head honcho of Cerberus, who is referred to only as the elusive man. Although he has a name. He has a name. It's like, it's Jack something. And, um, so yeah, Cerberus in the first game, we we pretty much exclusively see Cerberus as bad guys in the first game. Come the second game, we're introduced to more characters from Cerberus, and some of them are actually pretty decent people, which plays into the third game. It's... They're, they're an interesting group, and you generally will have negative reactions with them throughout most of the series. We're doing a podcast. So, yeah, so you can... We interact with servers a lot. That's one of the two main side quests you'll get. You've got your... There's Cerberus scientists on this planet. Go deal with them. Or mercenaries on this planet. Go deal with them. This colony's asking for help. Go deal with it. Those are your general Hackett-based side quests. Yeah, and, yeah, and Jack Harper is his name. Yeah, Harper. I knew it was Jack. <laughs> and he has a relative. We don't know... Clarified if Cora is his daughter or niece or granddaughter, for all we know. <laughs> and Cora is a character in Andromeda. Yep. Yeah, we don't meet Cora for a while. Um, yeah. Although, by all accounts, she is around during the first game. We just don't see her. Yes, well, we know from Andromeda that she would have been training with the Sari Huntresses. At this point in time, so she'd be on Fessio or one of their colonies, yeah. most likely. Then. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> Other characters that are kind of in the background for the first one that we don't really get into until, oh, we don't get much about their backstory until the second, the third installment, or maybe not until Andromeda. Yeah. Or Which, if you consider how long it was from the release of the first game to the release of the third game, they planted the seeds for that third game very early on. Let's see. Let's see. So, well, we can't really say anything about it. Yudina's true loyalties. Yeah. But, like, the things... There, there are things that they had no idea if the game would be popular enough to reach that third game. And yet they still laid the groundwork for mind-blowing revelations in the third game from the first one. Including a certain character we will get to later who, if you spare her, if you have a choice to spare or kill this particular character, and your choice will impact you in a big way in the third one. <laughs> <laughs> 
so they had a lot of faith in this game. And you gotta commend how awesome it is. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, then there's also the fact that you have... Okay, so we talked about that one. We talk... Do you want to go into more detail on the various side missions? Just to... Well, I've talked most of it, so you guys should get a chance to say some of it. Okay, well, it's like, so there's the one with the uh, crazy biotic um, colony. Oh, yeah. And you also get side quests where uh, that are what you would refer to more in the third game as loyalty missions. Namely, Rex and his father's, well, his great grandfather. <laughs> the, the little the things, like um, for, yeah, like I said, for, there's a side quest where for Rex you find um, his ancestral armor. Which you can do those some of these quests by accident. By accident. In fact, the first time I did that quest for Rex, I did it by accident. I was exploring and came across this base full of mercenaries and found this armor there. Come back on the Normandy to hear Rex saying, "Thanks for finding this. I was actually about to tell you about this <laughs> to go get it." For Garrus, um, you do Garrus's loyalty mission side quest. You do have to talk to him to generate. There is a Salarian scientist that he almost captured who was growing organs inside of his victims to harvest to sell on the black market. And he finds them again. You can go deal with them. Deal with them. Yeah. yeah um, and then, now, I can't remember. Did we talk about... And sorry for retreading this, but I, I don't think we mentioned this the last time. But you had that side quest on the Citadel where you were scanning the keepers. I don't think we mentioned. I don't think we've explained what the keepers are. So the keepers maintain the Citadel, and no one really knows much about them. They don't really interact with anyone. In fact, it's kind no, of like a directly. law to leave them alone. And they will disintegrate if you try to scan them or yeah. dissect them. Or well, this, yeah, they'll disintegrate if you mess with them. Which we find, which I'm going to leave out why this is important, but by the third game, you find out something really fascinating about the Keepers. First. Well, the first game, you find out that they are actually supposed to sig to. Respond to a signal from the Reapers and activate the Citadel so all the Reapers can show up in the galaxy to start the, the color harvest. of the harvest. But by the third game, you find out some more very interesting. Okay, I first one that Vigil mentioned that. Vigil mentions that they were altered by the Protheans to no longer respond to that signal. Okay. And I must be complaining two different things. Than I yeah, so all you all you learned in the first game is that they were supposed to activate, activate the the relay. Um, the relay. Yeah. Anyway. But by the third game, the third game is when you find out what the keepers used to be. Okay. Yeah. No spoilers though, because I'm sure that's an important plot point. So. Oh, it it well, throws you. Sorta. It throws you for a loop. <laughs> It's one of those things where you, well, when you look back on it, it, it kind of does, it, it, it depends on your religious background, I guess, I mean, the best way to describe 
the response. Okay. Anyway, um, so, yeah, okay. So you have this, so you, so after, this is after you, um, I think, I think you bump into him right after the uh, ceremony where you become a specter. And you happens to be in the, I don't want to say lobby, but in the atrium, I guess, to the council chamber, um, where you first meet Garrus. <laughs> and he just happens to, there's a keeper there. And, he, and there's a Solarian scientist who has a little scanning thing. <laughs> Um, not just his omni tool, he has something, he's holding something else. Um, oh, that's right, I don't think we explained the omni tools. <laughs> Is it so. Yeah. Omni tools are basically the ultimate Swiss Army Knight, Swiss Army Knight slash smart device. Yeah. It's a computer, it's a scanner, it's a knife, it's a. Facilitates hacking. It lets you Wait, use te any technical abilities like creating drones, security drones, and it's it's an Omni tool. Like the, name, <laughs> the, the name the name says it very well. Omni meaning everything tool. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So yeah. But anyway. In a moment, your Omni tool is probably gonna be the best thing you need to Yes, and most people are who know about the Mighty Ducks will probably see where I'm going with this. But um, and, and the fact that um, and the fact that they share a couple of the same voice actors is probably so. I would imagine that Jennifer Hale at least probably would have brought this up to the writers at some point. <laughs> um, if she was in a certain show where an Omni tool was used by one of the characters, not her character. Was, in particular, but still. Um, no, anyway. So he's scanning the keeper, and and uh, like Kai said earlier, the keepers. I mean, this is the sort of thing that can get you chucked out in the Earth's airlock <laughs> for, <laughs> and that's if you're lucky um, <laughs> for doing stuff like that. Um, so, anyways, that's one of the few things that is a capital crime in the Citadel space. <laughs> um, now, the Batarians are no longer, they no longer have an embassy on the Citadel by this point because the uh, Citadel Council sided with humanity. <laughs> um, so, they can do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> and then there's Novarian, which I think we should go with Novarian for the next one because that is that, well, there's a lot of fun stuff with um, Rex and Liara, respectively, on Novaria. Um, anyway, um, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But anyway, so yeah, the situation. Yeah, so the keepers are they're they're like they're like the maintenance crew. They're like the janitorial staff. Um, is how a certain other podcast, <laughs> how a bunch of fanfics usually portray them as essentially the janitorial custodial crew for the Citadel. Um, at, at least functionally, that's how they are viewed. Um, so like the crowd workers. Yeah. So they, yeah, they also I don't know if they excrete or if they just happen to have access to there's this um, protein paste that is um, used as um, essentially it's used in a way that um, food stamps are used in our world where people who can't afford the finer things to <laughs> Yeah, it, it, 
but you know. Still a fourth team, and still, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not Omni Jail, which is something else, but that's a big deal. Um, yeah, so, you get a lot of those. Um, anyway, but yeah, so you just, so he, so you just approach him, and, and he asks if you would, and he says that he will pay you, um, if you, if, if, since you're a specter, you can get away, you can, you, you, you're above the law, you can, you can do what, you, you can get away with stuff that the normal civilian, <laughs> um, and even, and even CSEC can't do certain things that Shepard and his counterpart can't get away with, <laughs> um, which in memory serves as a big part of why Garrus didn't like specters before meeting Shepard. <laughs> Because he didn't like the fact that they were able to, they were the ultimate loophole abusers. Yeah, basically, you know, exercise their power in the way they saw fit. Yeah. And so, you know, that tends to create a lot of dissension on that. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, so you have, um, so yeah, we still, and then you had, um, so you, so you go around scanning all the keepers, and eventually. <laughs> You, and I think this happens after you get, you know, I think there's like 20 keepers you have to scan around the Citadel, and they don't move around or anything, so it's not, so, you, and they're easy to keep track of. Um, well, sort of. You're, you're coming and going, you can do this as you go, um, between different missions. It's, it's, just, it's an ongoing process. It's not, you don't have to do it all in one go. Um, you can spread it out, so it's, sometimes it's easy to forget which ones you've already scanned. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, and then you have, but, but I think after you get to, like, the, uh, 15th one, um, if you go down to CSEC, you interact with the, um, Solarian's partner, or, well, former partner in his mind, the Solarian, you know, his side of how he views that relationship at this point, who claims that the Solarian is trying to kill him. <laughs> um... Because they were, and they were, they were already scrubbing the wall, and the and the um, Volus was starting to get cold feet. <laughs> so in other words, they had a falling out some kind of way. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and and if you decide to turn them in, um, that puts a stop to the quest right then and there. If you decide to keep going with it, yeah, it's time to you. Most recent, my, my most recent playthrough, I decided I, I can't really do this anymore, guys. So, uh, so I'm going to turn you into the nice officer over there um, <laughs> and let him deal with you. Um, yeah, and so and it turns out um, that if you choose not to go through with it to the end, see it through to the end, you actually lose a couple of war assets for the third game, <laughs> but. Not enough to make a real difference, but still. Um, yeah, I've always ended up helping them and convinced them to go back to working together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I said, I usually would go see it through to the end, but I, was telling, I just want to see what the difference was, really. But anyway, um, unless you have that one. Yes, Commander. <laughs> Is there something you need? I should go. And then you have one which I can't remember ever actually seeing all the way through. What was that? Um, someone's calling me through Facebook. Hmm. Weird. And anything new on the gameplay side of things, you know, just for the listeners who were, you know, 
Um, well, like I said, there were a few, like I said, nothing new, um, uh, the main difference was, um, the graphics were upgraded. The interface is more or less unchanged unless you tailor it yourself. Um, yeah. Now, there is one difference that was made to the sequels, is that they, in the original version, now, you can do this manually anyway, but... But in the original version, they switched out which triggers, um, <laughs> which trigger buttons did what. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing. It took time to adjust to, or was it just like quick for both of you, for the sequel? Was it easy to adjust to the new controls, or was it just like... Well, actually, you can switch it out right away. You don't have to, you can, like, within seconds of getting control, you can easily... <laughs> Why would they be on Facebook? Yeah. Well, it's someone I haven't spoken to, and I just from Oregon. Okay. All right, so she'll be right back. She has to take a phone call. Um, okay, and then we will... So, yeah, so we'll see here. Yeah, so the interface is more or less identical. It's, it's pretty much like any standard... Um, it, main difference is that there's, uh, there's a couple of buttons that are different because they were, there are some that were not on the original hardware. <laughs> So, yeah. So, yeah, any difference is going to be because of that. They had to account for different things. But for the most part, the interface is the same. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting question. You think they will ever do a movie series based on Mass Effect? Well, the going theory at present is that there's going to be a TV series, <laughs> um, especially because they have a bunch of high-profile. I mean, there, there's a leak um, by Henry Cavill did a, about I want to say a couple months ago now, where he was where he was in his um, house or in a, or in a dressing room somewhere, and he had a script and it mentioned a um, certain um, and it mentioned a cup and, and they. And the script um, mentioned a couple of Mass Effect characters. Now, this could mean he's working on the next game because we don't know exactly when it's going to be taking place. Um, is there, or it could be spread, or it could be spread over several time periods. Um, but yeah, but most people are thinking that he's going to be playing a version of Commander Shepard at some point <laughs> in, a TV, in a live action. All comes to fruition. Yeah, so, a couple of those. Although I'm quite sure they probably don't want to compete with, you know, a certain other uh, sci-fi franchise that's about to get a big boost in popularity right now. <laughs> well, you know, they're probably waiting on that. Well, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that, that's being revived or... Um... Yeah, and there's also the fact that, and if you're talking about the one I think you're doing, I, I still believe that there should be certain things that, for certain platforms, should not get exclusive. <laughs> yeah, it's the one you're thinking of. And the only reason I'm not mentioning it is it's not because I don't want to give it any promo, it's because I want to uh, save it for a future episode. Like, that road is so immersive that I don't take it. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. 
Especially since I need to look into that one again because I haven't done that one in years. <laughs> if you're talking about what I think you're talking about. I need to uh, finish the particular franchise, but I do think, you know, a TV series from Mass Effect would probably be the safest bet because, you know, again, the world is so extensive that a two-hour film, I don't, I don't know if that would necessarily do it justice. I can see it you know, potentially happening because it does have a lot of potential on the big screen. But on the other hand, you cut a lot of it out if you try to, you know, whittle it down to two hours. Not everything can uh, fit in such a short window. I mean, even if you do three hours, or if you do closer to how Avengers Endgame was, you still miss out on a lot. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so what we'll do... Um, alright, so we'll let you know, let's see, I'm trying to think, there's not much else to discuss right now without getting knee-deep in another, um, main storyline mission here before the game. And, um, okay, so, and, yeah, like I said, since Kai's input is, <laughs> oh boy, I don't know, because like I said, guys, the main thing is that, um, with the reason we went as long as we went the last one is because we... Was that we had the introduction um, segment that lasted? I want to say about just under what was it? Um, yeah, so I think what we'll do is yeah. So I'm trying to think here. Yeah, because like I said, because I don't want to go too much into the comic books or novels right now because that would take. <laughs> I think that deserves an episode outright. Um, yeah, I was gonna say I think those deserve an episode outright. <laughs> just like the sequels, I feel like deserve a couple of episodes just to flesh out certain details of the story. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's see. Uh, yeah. So let's see here. Um. um, 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 um. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So what we'll do is we'll end this recording here, and we will. All right. So. Yeah. Not as long as the last one, obviously, but that was because we also had to describe. We also had to detail our first encounters and the like. Alright, so, signing off for now. Um, and like I said last time, hopefully this will help people pull up a real trigger to buy the games. Alright, so, signing off. Including me, so this is a fun one. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so, please do your best to get it. It's not that hard to find. <laughs> Alright, so, yeah. Okay, so, signing off. Till next time, Pete.